Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christiana. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing really well today. This is truly a very special episode for ARR. This is definitely one that we've been waiting for for a while. We got a very, very special interview uh, for you guys today. Uh, Chris, you want to get into that very quickly? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, it's it's a thing where, yeah, like, we've referenced this name on the show, like, maybe the most we've referenced uh, some, like, a non-player, uh, like, non-player manager, executive um, on a show be- or on the podcast, uh, Sarah Langs. We, we, we interviewed Sarah Langs. It was great. Uh, she, um, she was on the podcast for over a half hour um gave some great answers yeah but hey i mean listen come for sarah langs and stay for uh for some of the topics that we have today outside of that and there are some big ones yeah the i'll just start off with the the big topic in baseball right now uh fernando tatis jr was suspended 80 games for violating the league's ped policy uh this was announced yesterday afternoon and there is a lot to dive into with this. And I'm just going to start with his uh, statement because I think there was a lot of things to dissect from that. Yeah. Let me just pull up the statement real quick. Um, uh, there are a lot of takeaways from this. I think the most you should read into this is just by looking at his statement. All right, I'm just going to read it real quick because I have it pulled up right now. All right, so this is released yesterday uh, from the Players Association on behalf of Fernando Tatis Jr. He said, quote, I've been informed by Major League Baseball that a test sample I submitted returned, I submitted returned a positive result from for Clostable. Is that how it's pronounced? Um, maybe. Okay. It's, it's one of the, you know. Clostable, which is a band. If it ends in B-O-L, it's, it's, it's some type of steroid, yeah. Yes, it's a banned substance, of course. It turns out that I inadvertently took a medication to treat ringworm that contained Clostable. I should not. I should have used the resources available to me uh, in order to ensure that no banned substances were in what I took, and I failed to do so. I want to apologize to Peter, AJ, the entire Padres organization, my teammates, Major League Baseball, and fans everywhere for my mistake. I have no excuse for my error, and I would never do anything to cheat or disrespect the game I love. I have taken countless drug tests throughout my professional career, including on March 29th, 2022, which have all returned, which have all returned to negative results until this test. I am completely devastated. There is nowhere else in the world I would rather be than on the field competing with my teammates. After initially appealing the suspension, I have realized that my mistake was the cause of this result. And for that reason, I've decided to start serving my suspension immediately. I look forward to rejoining my teammates on the field in 2023. So there was a lot that uh, there were a lot of takeaways that people had from this from this statement, and I I would just like to say, I think this is actually a pretty decent statement. I think he probably did this the best way that he could have. Um, you know, you look at a lot of, and I'll get into this specifically, but you know, a lot of new age uh, positive steroid tests in baseball they're not the same as what they were 
you know, before like the A-Rod suspension in 2013, I'd say that was really when the tide started changing around the, the climate on this subject. And it seems like a lot of the time people test positive for steroids. It's that they do exactly this. They inadvertently take some sort of substance to heal from an injury or from some sort of uh, condition that happens that contains something that it's a banned substance without them realizing. And a lot of people will accidentally do this and they'll come out with statements saying like, this must be a mistake. I definitely never did anything. They'll come out saying, well, I only did it to treat a medical issue. I wasn't trying to, you know, gain a competitive edge. And, you know, while both of those things can be true, there really is no excuse because major league baseball provides plenty of services for players to ensure that anything they might be taking doesn't include uh, any banned substances. And like Fernando Tatis Jr. mentioned, there were resources available to him that he just simply didn't use. So it was, a, it was just a pretty, for lack of a better term, it was a stupid decision. You know, I think my takeaway from this entire thing is similar to the motorcycle incident where he just had a complete lapse of his judgment. You know, he did something that he really shouldn't have. I don't think that he was trying to cheat. I don't think that he was trying to gain some sort of competitive edge. I, I really believe that he was trying to heal from something. I don't know if it's a ringworm. That's that's also been a whole topic. But yeah, I really think he just he messed up. And it happens to be the second time that he's done so. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, it could have been a thing where he was recovering from ringworm. I mean, before I knew, before any statement came out, I was like, well, he was, you know, he was on the injured list and he was on the injured list more longer than he expected to be. So we probably wanted to get back as fast as possible and probably took something that was uh, that was illegal. I mean, that was like part of the thing. Like even back then, even back in the actual steroid era, like a lot of guys took steroids because it made them feel uh, like it was they, it made them feel very rested and recovered in the middle of the season. Uh, and that's why they were able to perform so well. It wasn't necessarily to. Yeah put on 30 pounds of muscle um same probably same thing with fernando tatis jr i hate to make a, a cross sport reference but um as a patriots fan i know this happened with julian edelman edelman in 2017 you know wide receiver for the patriots he uh he tore his acl in 2017 he he uh, got suspended right before the 2018 season uh, for taking a performance enhancing drug, which, you know, he was probably just recovering from his injury needed, wasn't satisfied with the recovery with his recovery process and probably wanted to ramp it up. I would imagine that was the same with Tatis and I believe his wrist that he injured. Um, so, and, you know, also the thing with Tatis was initially when he got that injury, it was like, Oh, he's missing three months. He's probably out till June, which was bad enough. And then, you know, a, a couple months, a couple months ago, there was a there was news saying there's a setback. He's not going to be able to return for another couple months, and that had to have been very frustrating. And he probably turned to uh, turn to something, trying to make that process uh, quicker. Yeah, um, it's. I don't even know where I want to go from here because there are so much, so many things that I think we should talk about with this. But yeah, I mean, like you mentioned he had some setbacks in his injury recovery process and he might've turned to something for a desperate time. I know that the statement did say worm and there's been a lot of discussion over if that was a lie or not. Some people are hundred percent convinced it is. Some people believe 
what I've seen a couple times on Twitter is there's another substance with a very similar name to Clostabol that can be used to treat ringworm, and he must have mistaken the two. Right. Um, yeah. Which is which is certainly possible. Um, I don't know. Like my my initial thought was like everybody knows that you've been injured. Like why would you lie about having a different sort of problem that you were treating? Like you could like you had an easy out by saying. I was recovering from my injury because, you know, nobody, nobody would question that. People were like, well, yeah, you've been injured the whole year. And the only reason I thought of was he just didn't want people to tie it back into the motorcycle stuff, which I think people are just going to do anyway, because that's just, you know, that's how this whole thing started. Like if he wasn't riding a motorcycle, we don't, we're not talking about any of this. Yeah, exactly. Um, And yeah, it, it could have been a mistaken thing with, uh, the ringworm medication. I also think it could have been a thing where he had ringworm and he probably used, he, he could have used that as an excuse um, as to why he was taking something and not necessarily mm-hmm. something that maybe he had the ringworm, but he wasn't treating it with this actual drug. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a possibility. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, it, I think you make a very good point in him not trying to tie it back to the motorcycle thing, because it's like, Oh, I got in this motorcycle accident that took me out for five months and I got banned for using a drug that tried to make the recovery process quicker from that. Remember that motorcycle accident? Yeah. I got banned. I'm getting banned now for 80 games, trying to take a drug to uh, help recover from that injury. Like that's a real double down. Like, you, even if it's ringworm like there's no reason not to tie this whole thing back to the motorcycle incidents in my opinion like this like i don't i really don't think any of this happens without it like i mentioned um yeah. uh, a, a lot of padres like executives players were very disappointed and obviously i mean you know, this is you spend the whole year waiting to get a guy like tatis back you know they they've kind of been struggling down the stretch a little bit they've been playing pretty mediocre-ish baseball over the last month or so doesn't help that it also comes at a time where the Dodgers have been have won 24 the last 28 but you know I mean you wait all year for a guy like Fernando and at the very least you do get Juan Soto which is not a bad consolation uh and you know there's like a week-long period where you're like hey we're gonna have both of them and now you don't but you still get that addition that you were hoping for Plus you get Josh Bell and Brandon Drury. So, you know, I think the Padres are going to be able to survive the rest of this year without him. No doubt. Um, they've played the whole year without him and they've been fine. And they had the, one of the best traded lines in the majors. Yeah, very true. Very true. I mean, I don't think it <clears throat> affects their actual chances of getting into the playoffs. However, like I think get once you get into the playoffs, not having Tatis there is is going to be a damper. I mean, he's he's just, you know, he's such an impact. But, like, right now, I mean, who's the biggest threat to the wild card spot that's not in it? Is it Like Brewers, St. Louis Cardinals? or Milwaukee? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the Padres, the, without Ta- the Padres without Tatis are better than them, and they're already um, – one second. Uh, the – so the Padres, they actually currently hold the third wild card spot, and the Brewers are two games behind. So they are only in a playoff spot by two games. So crazier things can happen. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and yeah, I guess zero back in the loss column, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah so yeah i mean yeah crazy things have happened um but yeah I, it, it is closer than i thought i will say uh yeah that's interesting and yeah the padres i should look at what their latest stretch is um so 40 they were 46 and 31 and now they're 64 and 51 so they've they're 18 and 20 over the last 38 games so mm-hmm. as you mentioned yeah 500 mediocre ball um which is you know not something you want uh trying to get a playoff spot but yeah uh anyway going back to the point i think it it makes me think they're less they're much less dangerous in a uh in a playoff series yeah no doubt um let's i mean how is this going to affect Fernando Tatis? Like, I mean, I think this is something that's going to stay with him for the rest of his life. You know, I think people will always hold on to it, but I do think, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I do think he's young enough where he can find a way to get people to forget about this down the line at some point. Uh, I agree. 100%. Yeah. Um, First of all, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Should, uh, you know, he should be very happy that he's, he's already signed a 14 year contract. Yes. So this will not, this will not affect him financially whatsoever. I mean, he's not going to get paid during the 80 game suspension, but yeah, whatever uh, that's a loss of 1% of his salary. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is like, you know, this is it, the deal is more backloaded. I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, like, so that's good for him. Um, and yeah, Tatis is, is 23, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's almost like he sort of gets a a fresh start. Like he's had some good seasons. He's had some injury problems, uh, you know, which, which, uh, you know, case in point this year. Um, But like, he still has age 24 on, he still has probably like 15 seasons uh, to uh, add to his legacy. And it's like, like with, you know, people, with every every year at the hall with the hall of fame discussion it's like oh you know this guy pd ped user what i will say i'll get out in front of this um 20 years before his uh before uh we're talking about fernando tatis jr potentially in the hall of fame uh i i think yeah i think as long as he had as long as he performs like he was performing before the suspension and doesn't get popped again uh, I don't think this should affect his his Hall of Fame uh, case whenever whenever that happens. Yeah, I, I mean, spoiler alert, I, I don't think he's ever been on a Major League Baseball field while under the influence of steroids of any sorts. I think this is straight up just an injury thing. So there's probably no reason to believe that he won't perform the same way that he was before the injury or before the uh, yeah, before the injury and the PED suspension. But it is good that this happens now in his career and not later, because if this happens at age 30 or so, you know, we have to question if everything up to that point has been legit and we have to remember it for the rest of his career. If it happens like towards the end of his career, like mid thirties, maybe even like forties, you have to question, like, I mean, we don't have to question because I think most of us will know, but you know, people are going to question his entire career and how legitimately we can look at it and how much we can appreciate it. You know, the sense this is happening now, he's going to get tested the rest of his career. Like, like people, you know, if he hits a home run 
in June of next year, there's going to be those people like, oh, he's still, he's still using, he's still on the roids. He's going to be getting tested. <laughs> like, yeah. he's, if anything, he's going to be tested more frequently now than anything. Like, every single time he hits a home run now, random PED test. Every 440 foot bomb he hits, ooh, we're going to need to see one. We're going to need to see another one. Real yeah, quick. exactly. And like, yeah, as, as you mentioned, this is much better than, yeah, getting, you know, where it's where this happens in your at age 30 or uh, late 30s. The examples there are, Ryan Braun, who mm-hmm. like he had just won an MVP. He was in his late twenties. He had a good resume. Like he had a rookie of, of the year under his belt. Great career up to the point of him. Um, I think having a positive test or something like that. And, um, you know, just having to be suspended for like a year or late thirties, Robinson Cano yep um you know he got popped twice so I mean that's just no question he's not getting in um what is unfortunate because he had such an easy case yes for second yes. baseman yes I mean upper 60s wins above replacement um just fantastic player defense d- defensively and offensively but anyway like yeah I mean he was having an easy hall of fame career I think he got uh suspended in 2018 um, and then again in, in 2021. Um, so, I mean, and, and he wasn't recovering from any injuries. He probably was using for most of his career. If I had to guess, if he popped twice, do we know that though? Like, you don't know that, but it's like, like, I have to thing, like he debuted the year that steroid testing was implemented. Did he not? Yeah. But I mean, like, there's, there's seven. Was he really getting away with it for nearly 15 years? There, there are 750 players to test. So, I mean, you can't test crazy frequently. It's not like they're pissing into a cup every week. Um, I think, I think he just like, and maybe it was a thing where he didn't use until later in his career, but like, I don't know, like you kind of have, I guess you have to make up your own story with things like that, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a discussion for another day, I guess. But back to Tatis. Yeah, this shouldn't affect him in any way. Yeah. I mean, going back to the Robinson Cano point, let's just say he was not he did not touch a needle until 2018. Let's just say that. That's way past his prime, right? He had solidified yeah. a Hall of Fame case before then. And now we're just talking about how he's not going in because of those two tests. Like that really does crush your entire legacy. And I think Fernando still has time to rebuild his. Robinson Cano did not. Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, if you're thinking about like, oh, is this going to affect his legacy? Maybe maybe next year, maybe yeah. the year after. But like Nelson Cruz got suspended for PEDs in 2013. Mm-hmm. And he was having a fantastic like 2019 and 2020 and no one, no one brought that. No one brought that up. Frankie Montas has been one of the best pet pitchers of the past couple of years. He got suspended in 2019 for PEDs. No one mentions that ever. So, I mean, I, I, I know it's different when you're a superstar like Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. and you have a, a much brighter spot, spotlight on you. But I think people will forget about this in a few years. I think everyone except for like Dodger fans. 
Like, they're the only ones that haven't forgiven the Astros. Or not even forgiven. I don't even want to say forgiven. I think people just stopped caring about that for the most part. I'd say, like, if you asked all, like, baseball fans our age, if they still, like, are mad at the Astros, I think most of them are going to say, no, they don't care. Not that they forgive them, but it's like, yeah, it's whatever. Dodger fans are the opposite. They're like, no, like, we still should have won that 2017 World Series. Like, Jose Altuve still sucks and all, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I guess they do have the most reason to be bitter, but yeah, I mean, like even mostly Yankee fans stopped like like Yankee fans like the age of us basically, for the most part, really don't care about that anymore. Like yeah. some of them were begging to sign Carlos Correa last offseason, and some of them will probably be willing to do the same this offseason because he's probably going to opt out. Yeah, exactly, and I think I mean part of that also was the Astros. Uh, were a game away from the World Series the next year. Then they went to the World Series the year after that. And now they have what the best record in the, in the AL or like yep. tied. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. if they if they <laughs> if they got caught and then were a last place team from there on out, then it's fair. Then it's like wow. <laughs> but no. Yeah, um, I mean, and that sort of just proves Fernando's case. Like, if you could just go out and still do your thing. Like exactly. people are gonna, people are not gonna care. It's like, oh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is clean and he's putting up 150 weighted runs created plus every single year with elite defense and base running. Ah, eh, whatever. Yeah. Who cares if he if he was trying to heal from an injury that one time? Exactly. Um, exactly. I do want to get into because I was I was talking about this on Twitter yesterday and some people were kind of were kind of upset at me for it, which is weird, but. Is it outrageous to say that the climate around steroid use in baseball is just different now than it is from it was in the 90s and 2000s? I don't think that's a crazy case to make. Uh, Yeah, no, it's not. Like, when yeah. was the last time? Okay, like, when you think of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, like, what do you think their motives were for taking steroids? And what do you think, I don't know, Frankie Montas or, or Fernando Tatis Jr.? or Nelson Cruz, or maybe not Nelson Cruz, but like Fr- like Frankie Montas, like what were their motives? D. Gordon, that's a good one. Adelberto yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, like it's such a different thing. I think part of it also back then was like these guys were setting records and they were like, they were bigger than baseball mm-hmm. for a little bit. Physically. Um, yeah, physically. And, and they were like, you know, just – injecting testosterone into themselves instead of like yeah using a pill for ringworm i was um, gonna say when was the last time someone got popped for human growth hormone exactly it was probably like there was a lot of people suspended for steroids in like 2012 2013 you think of like uh like you know a rod was obviously the big one nelson cruz which was mentioned milky cabrera bartolo cologne like all of those guys that was like the last there was like a big bunch like group of steroid users back then ryan braun as well and then from like 2014 on, it's been these cases where people are like trying to recover from stuff and they happen to accidentally take something with steroids. Like D. Gordon was a was an example that I thought about. Adalberto Mondesi was one. Irvin Santana was one. Frankie Montas. And now Fernando Tatis Jr., who happens just to be, you know, a superstar pitcher that, you know, is on that list now. Yeah, I think I, I think part of it is when when it's like, you know, 1998, you can't go anywhere without hearing about the home run race. And it's like, Mm -hmm. wow, they're actually going to break this 
37 year record. It's going to be crazy. And you got Sosa and Maguire going at it. And then three years later, Barry Bonds is going after that record. And then, and then, uh, you know, a few years after that, it's like, Oh my God. And, you know, for, from their perspective, this was all fake. Uh, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to believe in baseball? You know, what, what about my heroes with this? It's like, and also part of it is like visually, if you look at 1995 bonds compared to 2004 bonds, it's a, it's very obvious of like, yes, this was very different. Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, he looks, he looks very normal. (laughs) Yeah. I would say like people always look at like the side-by-side pictures of like, yeah, Barry Bonds in 1986 versus 2004, Mark McGuire with the A's versus with the Cardinals. Like just show me a picture of Fernando Tatis Jr. And like, 2017 versus now i guarantee you it's virtually the same like maybe he looks older and like a little more jacked but it's not just outrageous yeah d gordon went from 160 (laughs) pounds to 162 pounds he He went from an 040 iso to an 075 he he was a monster he was an absolute (laughs) he was superhuman d gordon was yeah it's (laughs) It's such a different thing now. Like no yeah. one's no one's testing positive because they're like, I want to hit 50 home runs this year. Exactly. Like that just is not you can like if I'm ever proven wrong, I'll admit to it. If someone ever openly says it, I'll believe it. But I truly right. believe no one is testing positive because they're trying to be better at certain aspects of baseball. Right, right. Um but and- uh, at the same time, you have to be a real idiot to get popped in this day and age like there are so many resources available to you to check to make sure that you're not taking anything illegal without knowing and i think you know there have been i think there have been like a lot of steroid cases that have been stopped because of this like i'd be willing to bet you know obviously we'll never know for sure but i'd be willing to bet there have been dozens of major league baseball players that have almost accidentally taken something but they checked beforehand to be like oh that has you know insert insert substance here like i'm not using that yeah right but i mean i i guess the pendulum swings both ways there we're like yes major league baseball has amazing resources and probably has every every list of ingredient on very accessible to not take and not get tested positive for however there's probably you know so many more things so many more illegal things than there were at the start of oh, definitely of all this so i mean i think the pendulum swings whereas like it almost seems like, like a minefield back in like 2005 it's like just don't just lay off the human growth hormone and it will be fine <laughs> whereas like now it's like don't take this uh thing that's 17 letters and uh is in as is, is in two font in uh yeah. on the back of this uh pill bottle exactly um just just a note, like the, the drug that Fernando Tatis Jr. like tested positive for, like it's literally if you Google it, it's for healing wounds. Like that's why you use it. Yeah. 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 Like hey, there's why would like for people that are gonna say cheater, like do five seconds of research. Exactly. Like, che- cheating to get healthy faster. Like what an outrageous thing to do. Not a team player. <clears throat> well, actually, uh I have a grandmother on a steroid and she did it to hit 50 home runs and not to heal wounds. Yeah. And she, and I, I didn't see her in the baseball hall of fame. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I every Thanksgiving I call her a cheater. Um, <laughs> um but uh yeah, ster- different steroids mean different things. Is yeah. the I don't know. I don't know why I had to like hold on. I so I tweeted like something of that, you know, of that topic yesterday where I was like, you know, steroid use is different now from from where it was in the early 2000s and like you know, there's still no excuse for guys like Tatis and whatever. And someone, someone, I didn't even bother with this, but someone goes, how do you know this? Where's your scientific proof? It's like, it's common sense. Yeah. Like, just look at the drugs they're testing positive for and look at the drugs they were testing positive for in the 90s and early 2000s. Like, you really, like, you really want to tell me that, you know, Mark McGuire was using human growth hormones so he could heal quicker? I don't think that's how that works. No. And like I said, do you want, do you really think that Fernando Tati Jr. is, is, uh, is hitting, is using a drug that heals wounds so that he can hit a ball 50 feet further? I don't think he is. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's just the differences are very much, uh, very much present. And all you have to do is look at some pictures, most likely. It's, it takes a quick Google search um yeah yeah um so all right so that 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 was the topic that was the 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 big news of the week uh fernando tatis jr he's out for this year and probably for the first month of next year and 42 games yeah first okay first 42 games of uh of next year so like a month and a half ish maybe two months um and then he will uh he will be He'll be back in the Padres lineup finally, unless he uh, finds another uh, injury. Hopefully not. Fingers Hopefully crossed. Not. It's gonna be very interesting when he returns, because you know normally when a guy returns, like Fernando Tatis Jr.'s return was supposed to be like a very hyped up thing, where it's like he's back from his injury. Fernando Tatis Jr. rejoins the Padres. It's gonna be really awkward come May of next year. Like you know, yeah. it'll definitely get some some media attention quite a bit probably. But it's not going to be the same as like when Degrom came back the other week. Right, right, yeah. It's like it's going to be interesting. He's probably going to, you know, definitely at Dodger Stadium, he'll get booed and whatever, you know. That's yeah, standard. Um, he'll probably get booed by. He'll probably get sparse boos from other stadiums, but you know, I think come like twenty, like twenty five, people are going to forget outside of the Dodgers. Yeah, I agree. Is- I think even the Giants mostly won't care. They'll be like, yeah, what? I mean, the Giants have very much, not a lot of room to be upset about a guy taking steroids. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as you mentioned, especially if he does, if he has, if, if he's putting up six win seasons, six, seven win seasons, uh, yeah. with Consistently. you know, and is just doing exactly what he was doing before this suspension, uh, that'll silence everybody very quickly. Yeah. Um. All right. So that was the topic of the week. Um, fun news. But the biggest, the biggest thing that happened for Daniel and I this week was uh, we got to talk to um, kind of our 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 stat icon, um, our stat masterson. Shout out to Dennis Eckersley for our our sabermetrician idol. Yes, our our sultan of stat. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, Sarah Langs, uh, a writer and reporter and just general stat finder for MLB.com. Uh, if you go to Baseball Savant's front page, you'll most likely find an article by her that's very insightful and you'll probably learn a lot. Yeah, um, any then, just click anything on the Baseball Savant front page about Juan Soto and you'll find her. Yes, yes, you will. And uh, you'll, you know, you'll also find her tweet. Her tweets are regularly retweeted by the Major League Baseball Twitter account. Um, so she has a very, she's a very big influence. Uh, we always reference her stats. And uh, I mean, it was a long time in the making. Uh, well, a long time in the making for us getting this interview. I mean, we contacted her, uh, you know, a month ago or so. Um, but this was great. Daniel, what did How'd you, uh, how'd you feel about this uh, interview? It was very cool. I mean, I think it's awesome that from now on, we'll always get to say, you know, ARR alum Sarah Lang said blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yes, we do. I'm very excited for the first one of those. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, so, yeah. So now, uh, now let's uh, get into it. Our interview with Sarah Langs. <laughs> And uh, now we are here joined by Sarah Langs. Uh, you may know her from the front page of Baseball Savant, as we do, as we scroll that website every single day, and also her work uh, with Major League Baseball and MLB.com. Um, how are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're uh, glad. We're glad to have you. Um, this is a baseball and sabermetrics based podcast. And, you know, Chris, Chris and I try to get our own stats quite a lot. And very often will we be like, we'll defer to other people's stats. And a lot of the time it's your work. So we're very excited to have you on. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Glad to uh, help out with the podcast, I guess. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, many sentences in our podcast history have started with Sarah Lang's had a tweet. And then <laughs> this oh my gosh. A great statistic. Um, so, so yeah, uh, we go to you for definitely statistics, statistics we either can't find, you know, or just don't have the ability to find. And uh, we're always amazed. So we're wondering where like your evolution in baseball t- statistics, because obviously uh, st- statistics uh evolve and you know i think you know i personally i grew up knowing like average home runs rbi and then you go into more advanced statistics and now with baseball savant we have and and stack cast we have so much so where did you kind of start with knowing baseball statistics and where did it go from there uh you know for me it definitely started with the normal kind of back of the baseball card like you're describing but for me it really evolved to be more than that when I started doing internships and getting into my first job which was with ESPN stats and info and when I was working there obviously we were going much further beyond just a slash line or ERA or anything like that So it was kind of contingent upon myself to figure out what those other stats were. I mean, at that point, I knew war because I'd been online. I read stories on fan graphs anywhere. 
but I didn't necessarily know as much of the ins and outs of all that was possible. And while I was working there, it became clear that there was just such a treasure trove of different stats that were available, the fact that we could describe and measure pretty much every aspect of the game. So I would say that's how I got from the back of baseball cards to where I am now. In all the time that you've been frequenting, you know, sites like Baseball Reference, Fangraphs, Baseball Savant, you know, all the classic uh, statistics websites, is there any is there any particular page that you just like in some part have memorized because you've been there so many times? Like I can tell you, you know, 298, 444, 607, 1051 is Barry Bonds career slash line. Do you, do you have anything like that? Oh my gosh. I'm not sure if I have a specific page like that. But I do know, like, I look into Juan Soto's stats all the time. So I can tell you, as of this recording, he has 119 career home runs. He has 469 walks. He had 31 career games with at least three walks, things like that. But for me, it's almost just which pages am I on the most? And mm -hmm. I would say certainly Soto's page, but, you know, more than that. The game feed page on Baseball Savant every single day, keeping track of, you know, leaderboards during live games. And of course, just like the landing page on StatHead with all the finders. Mm -hmm. um, one, one, one world Daniel and I haven't dove into is the world of uh, Elias Sports Bureau. Um, it's always we didn't have this written down but like elias sports bureau always amazes us it's like the it's like the one level that people like daniel and i can't get to have you how much like experience in the how, how much have you dove into the world of like elias sports bureau and like what is can you tell us like at all like what it what it looks like <laughs> sure so you don't actually see anything really with Elias but I've been interacting with them my entire professional life you know that takes on sending them an email or calling their number and saying hey I have this question and for those who don't know the Elias Sports Bureau is the official statistician of Major League Baseball so they have access to things that go back all time further than a baseball reference or fan graphs or anywhere like that in terms of, you know, 1893 with the year the mound was moved to its current distance. So they can tell you who had a 10 strikeout game that year, which is something you can't find elsewhere, all these other things. So I interact with them pretty frequently. It's actually a team of researchers like myself who have access to a treasure trove. I assume they code everything, but I've never actually seen the data itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, the Elias Sports Bureau is like the, the sixth infinity stone. Like it's, it's the ultimate, it's the last one, it's the hardest one to get, but yeah, yeah. And they always provide some, some really good stuff that obviously you can't get anywhere else. And seeing everything from there is just very cool. Um, are there any other sports besides baseball that you like to analyze statistically? 
Um, at the moment, I don't really, I wouldn't claim that I do that for other sports. I mean, in my previous job, I had to be a researcher for every sport and not just the four major sports in North America, but UFC and, uh, you know, tennis, which I do love tennis. Um, and I love all sports, certainly all the team sports in the U.S. As I mentioned, big tennis fan, college football, you name it. But at the moment, I don't really research those <laughs> just because I don't have the time. But back in the day, you know, I was building graphics for SportsCenter on James Harden or Alabama football or what have you. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, I mean, being at, you know, worldwide leader makes a lot of sense that you would delve into, you know, all the, uh, all the significant sports, uh, all the significant sports stories, uh, sports stories. Um, so, you know, as, uh, you, you know, mentioning your professional career, this question could go either way. What's your favorite memory as a baseball fan or baseball slash baseball media person? Um, that's a really good question. I'm really lucky to say that I've been in a lot of really cool situations gotten to cover a lot of really cool games but I think if I were to pick one thing I would say as a fan I got to go to the all-star game in 2013 when it was at City Field I grew up a Mets fan and my parents always said okay if the Mets hosts we will find a way to get there and we were all the way up in the upper deck in left field barely there but we were there and I'd watched every All-Star game on TV that I could remember in my life. And being able to go and be there and, you know, they did the little things that were unique to Mets games, but it was on a national stage. And I remember thinking that was a really, really cool moment. So I'm really grateful that I got to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that that game is most remembered for was it was Mariano Rivera's last mm -hmm. all-star game. Uh, I mean, what was that entrance like in person? You know, the enter Sandman, everyone's going crazy. You know, I know that Edwin Diaz's entrance has got a lot of people talking right now, but that was one of the original just staple entrances by a closer. And to see that at an all-star game, that must have been really special. Yeah, it was a really cool moment. And they brought him in in the eighth to make sure he would get to pitch no matter what, and that the situation would be kind of controlled. If I remember correctly, and it was a really cool moment, you know, everybody on their feet. And as you said, you know, Edwin Diaz has been a very popular topic of conversation lately with the trumpets, which are really fun in person as well. But, you know, you go back to Andrew Salmon for Mariana Rivera or Hell's Bells for Trevor Hoffman. And those were kind of the beginnings of what we see now. But certainly that moment in the All-Star game was really, really cool. Chris and I grew up with uh, with Darude Sandstorm from Koji Uhara uh, in 2013. One of the most, probably the best reliever season I've ever seen, like throughout the entire year. And I was just thinking about this the other day because around that time with Koji, uh, I was in middle school and I was in I was in band and I played trumpet and I was like, man, if Edwin Diaz was on the 2013 Red Sox, like I would have <laughs> tried to learn that and failed. 
<laughs> that's funny that's really funny i wonder if there are kids now who are playing trumpet and all of a sudden feel that much cooler because they're like oh maybe edwin needs me you know if if i was uh if i was still playing trumpet and like i was at that level of fandom with you know with the mets as i was with the red sox at the time i would have tried i can't promise you i would have succeeded i was okay at trumpet uh back then but i definitely would have made an effort yeah i wonder if trumpets are allowed in baseball stadiums and if not <laughs> city field might have to uh make an make a quick exception for, yeah, for only only mr and mrs met as of right now That's yeah they have theirs yeah yeah i think they got enough they got enough uh power to carry the stadium i think they'll <laughs> i think they'll be all right on their own um but uh <laughs> so um you know as we go into i guess the uh the current baseball realm um you know a lot of uh a lot of interesting uh topics this season and there's always you know with going into statistics you can always find somebody that's very interesting or maybe you know when looking at those statistics you're like oh maybe you know i don't know why this player is not getting more attention who are some players on your radar that you think haven't been uh getting the attention that they deserve or will get eventually well, one who's starting to get more attention lately, and I think will continue to do so, is Adley Brutchman. So when he first came up, his hitting wasn't great. But after those first two, three weeks or so, he's been really, really good. And of course, he's great behind the plate. He's already one of the top all-around catchers in all of baseball. He is in the top seven, I believe, or top nine in wager runs created plus since June 15th. He's tied for the second most defensive run saved at catcher, and everybody else on that list, either ahead of him or tied with him, has caught at least 20 more innings than he has. So I think this is who he was supposed to be, and often with top prospects, if they're not incredible from day one, we kind of take a step back and let them figure it out but at this point he is 100% figured it out and it's really really cool to see a player like that uh you know just get to that level where he is performing the way that was expected and this is what a top prospect is supposed to be yeah it's been truly unbelievable because in many you know it's not uncommon for top prospects to come up to the majors and struggle at first even adley did it just about everybody does it and when you look at prospects in the stage it's not uncommon for them to be able to figure some things out but still have things to work on like you know i think julio rodriguez is the other top prospect that has really been showing to pan out this year and even with him there are some things where you can say that he can improve I don't know what Adley needs to do to improve other than just do it over a larger sample at this point. Yeah, I think he just has to keep doing what he is doing, which is really great to see. And of course, the Orioles have been a lot of fun to watch, especially lately. And it's really cool to see them led by this young catcher. I mean, you know, the last team I can think of led by a young catcher 
was the 2010 Giants with Buster Posey, but even that team had so many other great players. And the Orioles have other good players, but it's really cool to see Rushman kind of at the top of that list. How soon do you think we can be seeing him as a consensus top catcher in baseball? You know, it's a really good question. I was talking about this the other day. And uh, when I did my top 10 catchers entering the year for MLB Network, I put him at number 10. He had never played in the majors, but I was thinking that even, you know, a half or a third of a season of him was probably better than the next name I was going to grab there at catcher. And that's because catching is really difficult position. We don't have that many guys in the game right now. We're really good on both sides of the ball at that position. Wilson Contreras is a really good offensive catcher, not so much defensively. JT Real Muto is probably the best overall all around, but he hasn't had his typical season. And I think Will Smith is the guy who is expected to take that next step this year. And he's been good, but maybe not outstanding. So I would believe that within the next two or three years, we're basically talking about Will Smith and Adley Rutschman. You know, I mean, Sean Murphy is another guy who will be up there moving forward and you never know kind of who else is coming down the pipe. But I think it's really uh, the next generation after Real Muto and Yasmani Grundle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the... The catcher conversation is always interesting because, yeah, it definitely requires excellence at um, on both sides of the ball because of how how impactful a catcher's defense can be. Um, so, uh, also in the uh, regular base or the current baseball realm, uh, obviously the trade deadline just passed a week ago as we record, um, and there were some huge trades, obviously with. Juan Soto going to San Diego and Luis Castillo going to Seattle. Um, plenty of implications there, but we're curious to see what uh, what you think the most impactful move is outside of like you know the the big blockbusters. Well, you know, I'm not sure if it's one single move, but I really liked what the Twins went out and did. They address pitching from a number of different sides, getting Jorge Lopez, Tyler Molly, and Michael Fulmer. And this was a team that entering the year, everyone sort of expected, did not have nearly enough pitching. And to their credit, they've led the division pretty much all year. The White Sox have been disappointing. The Guardians have been kind of teetering, getting close, but they're very young. But for the Twins, they really needed some reinforcements in the pitching arena. You know, hitting-wise, they have Carlos Correa, they have Byron Buxton, they're in a good spot there. But I thought that they did a really good job of getting a couple of guys who are going to be really impactful. I mean, I don't think people are aware of just how good Fulmer has been. He's only allowed one barrel all year. So that's like a bad ball with the ideal combination of launch angle and exit velocity. Uh, his barrel rate is 0.9%, 111 bad balls against him. And just one of them has been barreled. So 
I think having him, having Molly, who is a proven enough starter at this point, it just gives them the type of depth that they didn't really have. Yeah, the uh, the market on Tyler Malley or Male is was uh, I thought it was oddly quiet leading up to the trade, and I'm definitely glad that a team like the Twins went out and got him. I mean, he's you know he gets reunited with Sonny Gray. Uh, former teammate in Cincinnati. And one thing that I referenced going into the season with him was uh, from a pitching standpoint, I'm just pulling this up to confirm it, but I believe he had the second lowest road ERA last year behind just Corbin Burns. And I think moving from Cincinnati to Minnesota is going to yeah. play a huge role for him. Definitely. I mean, we know Great American Small Park. He can definitely be difficult to pitch in Cincinnati. And he's a guy who's interesting. I mean, people have always really liked his stuff. And I think most of that rated a little bit better last year than it had so far this year. But overall, if you look at stuff like expected stats and whatever else, he's been good. He's certainly been better than the uh, 449 ERA that he has so far this year. And again, he's a guy who will be there just to give them another option because they have a really interesting rotation, as you said, with Bundy there, Chris Archer, who it's great to see Chris Archer, you know, back contributing in the majors. I really like watching him. And it's just been good to see him a part of this team. And then Joe Ryan, who is, of course, so much fun. And then you go beyond that, and there's guys like Riven Jacks and so on and so forth. But I think it's just really good to get a guy like Molly in the mix as well for them. I'm very sad that Bailey Ober uh, was not able to stay healthy this year because he was one of my Twins players to watch this year. Uh, had excellent strikeout to walk numbers. And yeah, unfortunately, he just wasn't able to stay on the field. But that was that's another option for them beyond this year. Definitely. I mean, they have such an interesting team. And I think they really do a good job with player development lately. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes moving forward, whether Carlos Cray opts out. And if he does, what the team looks like next year. But you know, I think people have to remember that no one was picking the Twins to win this division. Everyone gave it to the White Sox and said there was no question. And I just love to see a team surprise people and be at the point where at the trade deadline, they knew that they had to reload even further to try to make a deep run. Right, right. Um, with the, uh, you mentioned the Jorge Lopez trade. Um He's been a guy who's really evolved this year. Um, you know, we've uh, talked we've talked about him on the show. I mean, basic numbers right now. He's at a one six eight ERA, two nine nine FIP. Had a major increase in fastball velocity. Um, so, but also he had two more years of control. So it kind of put the Orioles in a conundrum because um, you know they could have had him for the next two years. What did you think about? Uh, the Orioles approach, um, trading him, even with all that control. Yeah, I know that it was a source of contention for some fans, certainly some Orioles fans. 
But I think overall, the team and Mike Elias were looking toward the future, and they were able to get back some good minor leaguers with him and with Trey Mancini and with those trades overall. And yes, the Orioles have been a really fun surprise this season, and you never know what a season is going to lead to, but the odds that they were going to win the World Series this year are probably pretty low. You know, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets are all really, really good. And I think given that, you should, you know, if you're in a front office, you're thinking about what is the best thing we can do for the future of the franchise. So I wasn't surprised they did it. Again, I know some fans were upset, but hey, they've continued to win. So it doesn't seem to have had a huge effect to this point anyway. Yeah, that's also what's seen with a lot of bullpen depth. And Felix Batista is a guy that's uh, that's broken out this year. He's had some excellent strikeout numbers uh, off the top of my head. Um, Joey Crable, I know, was a guy preseason or like early season that was doing so. Yeah, even without Lopez, this is a team that has a lot of good relievers with control. Absolutely. And yeah, you mentioned Batista, who... Uh frequently shows up at the top of the uh, Velo leaderboard for any given day. He's a lot of fun to watch. Um, so, uh, so yeah, another, so trade deadline just passed. Um, another piece of baseball news, definitely more on the unfortunate side was uh, the uh, passing of Vin Scully. And I was wondering if you, um, had any particular Vince Scully memories? I mean, he uh, announced up until the mid 2010s. Any particular favorite um, favorite moments of, of uh, Vince Scully? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I was raised with a very strong understanding and appreciation of baseball history. My parents are huge baseball fans, and really, you know made sure that I was aware of baseball's past from early on when it became clear I wanted to be a fan. And I can remember my father telling me about Ben Scully's call for Sandy Kovacs' perfect game, which is one of the many that has gone viral over this last week here the very famous two and two to Harvey Keene. He said the date, the time, describes everything, really paints that picture. And then the perfect game happens. And I can just remember that two and two to Harvey Keene. I remember my father telling me about that and that kind of just being becoming a thing where when I saw twos, when I saw two twos, I would think of it. So... That's certainly one that stands out to me. I mean, even that final game he called the Charlie Culberson walk-off, that was really cool. I was working at ESPN at that point, so watching that at work is very memorable for me, but what a legend. What a true legend. Yeah, I mean, he was a, just a very special person to baseball history uh 67 years in the booth is just stunning i mean it's incredible and to bring that team from brooklyn to la 
been two of the biggest media markets and for no one to ever get tired of you. I mean, we heard him. We know why nobody got tired of him, but it's impossible to think of someone else having that kind of staying power today. And that's no disrespect to anyone who is an announcer involved in this world, but it's incredibly difficult to not become stale over that period of time. I know that uh, you had a tweet like, uh, just you know, just after the fact about how you you were really appreciating all of, appreciating all of the East Coast baseball fans that were telling their Vin Scully stories because you know towards the end of his career was when streaming was becoming a thing and people were able to access every team. So I figured I'd tell some of mine because I was an East I'm an East Coast baseball fan that grew up uh, at the tail end of Vin Scully's career. I'd say for the last like three years of his career, I had MLB TV and the Dodgers became my West Coast team of choice because of him. And my favorite was, uh, it was my 15th birthday and the Dodgers were playing the Braves and Johnny Gomes was up for the, for Atlanta. And as a Red Sox fan, Johnny Gomes is just a very special player to me. You know, what he did for the Red Sox in 2013 is never going to be forgotten uh, by me. Just so just to see him come up, like I'm already pretty engaged. And Vince, Vince starts talking about how he was attacked by a wolf as a child, just very casually during the at-bat, like it was nothing. And there are so many crazy stories from Johnny's life, and that was one that I was not aware of. And I was definitely very taken aback by that. And just the way that he was casually going around being like, and then he was attacked by a wolf and the, the 01, that's in there for a strike. And then keeps going. It, it made me laugh. And it was just, it's my favorite Vin moment of all time. That was such a great story. That's one of the many that I feel like went viral last week when the news came out. And uh, very cool that you remember listening to it on your birthday. But I love that you saw that tweet and, uh, you know, resonated with that because it was really cool for me to see people who are basically between the ages of like, I don't know, 18 and 35 or so tweeting about how they would fall asleep listening to Dodgers games living on the East Coast. And it's such a testament to MLB.tv. I mean, I'm not trying to be a company woman here, but it really is. And also the DirecTV extra innings package and the fact that people are able to hear him beyond just, you know, the uh, national game of the week he would do or the postseason that he would do. So I think what's so amazing about baseball is that a random, you know, weekday, Wednesday night Dodger game can be as impactful to someone listening to it as, you know, the Kirk Gibson home run. And the fact that people are now able to access those moments of Ben Scully with the advent of streaming and all of these, you know, cable packages, I just think that's really cool and did so much for his legacy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, as we as we talk about, you know, baseball history, um, Vince Scully, obviously a major impact on it, um, calling games for both Sandy Koufax and Clayton Kershaw that obviously uh, runs a long time. Um, so we have our classic or our last question that we asked to that we're asking to every guest we've so far asked it to um chris rose and mark simon um 
So our last question is: Did we uh, real quick? Did, did we ask it to Amy Crawford? We didn't, so I guess we'll have to have. Her oh, back we gotta on. read. Okay, we gotta interview her again then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Former coworker of yours, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. So the last question it we ask our guests is: If you could um, get the Statcast data for any player in baseball history pre-Statcast era. Um, who would it be? Willie Mays. I want to know how far his home runs went. I want to know how hard he hit the ball. I want to know all of that. I think that was my instinctual answer, so I'll go with it. But now I'm like, should I have said Roberto <laughs> Clemente to know how hard he threw the ball? But we'll go with Willie Mays. I mean, I would love to know how many feet of home runs he hit during his four homer game and his arm as well. And just everything he did in the outfield, get us some uh, catch probability on the famous catch, all of that. The most unfair part about that question. And I realize this every single time we ask it is that you can only pick one player in the answer because you can go a thousand different routes. Like I, like Chris and I made our top 10 lists uh, a year ago on this subject and the number one person I had was Walter Johnson because I mean, nice. it's, yep. it's such a the different era. Velo. There's, yeah. there's, yeah. I mean the Velo, like I want to know what he was throwing in 1913. That was considered the fastest in the league. It's such a different time. I think Chris had Nolan Ryan as his number one, yeah, which is yeah. just two entirely different eras. Willie Mays <laughs> is a little closer to Nolan Ryan, but yeah, there are so many routes you can go to that. And I think Willie Mays is a good answer. What have other people said? If you remember. I remember. Yeah, Chris Rose had Dave Winfield, and I okay. believe Mark Simon had Keith Hernandez. He did. That sounds like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Lover of the 80s Mets. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that question. Keep asking people, because I want to hear what they have to say. We definitely need to keep like a, a Google Doc or something, because, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... I I would like to imagine in this hypothetical, you're getting like percentile rankings, you're getting like illustrator yeah. charts, like you can, yeah. you can just click on, I, I'd imagine Walter Johnson with like 500 bad balls against in one season with one home run allowed <laughs> and what that would yeah. look like on like a radical chart. I'm imagining chart. fastball usage is about 86%. <laughs> yeah. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of routes to go with that question for sure. And uh, yeah, love having another answer to that question. Um, so uh, Daniel and I are now not the only people to have a podcast in this conversation. You just uh, started a new one. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about a little bit about that? For sure. So uh, my best friend and coworker at MLB.com, Mandy Bell, and I actually now have two podcasts. Um, so on Mondays, we are part of Ballpark Dimensions, which is Mike Petriello and Matt Myers' podcast on MLB.com. That's kind of, you know, we wrap up the weekend. We talk about our favorite moments in baseball uh, from the past week. And just kind of your traditional topics. We also have another podcast with MLB Originals, which launched launched last week called Fielding Questions. That podcast is kind of a deep dive on different specific baseball topics 
like superstitions, ballpark food, mascots, so on and so forth. And the fun thing with that one is that we talk to a lot of players or some of our fellow reporters did. So, uh, you know, in superstitions, I we talked to like Jordan Luplo and uh, for ballpark food, we had some really funny quotes from Andrew Chafin. That one's not out yet, but we recorded recently. So if anyone wants to check those out, you can find them on uh, MLB.com. I, I was actually just listening to the super, Superstitions episode before this. And like, oh, thank they, you. Bring out, they bring out the best and worst of people. Like it's so dependent on the case, the person. It, it can either be something that works and you you love it, or it's just something that makes you miserable. But you just got to keep going with it because it works. And it's such a baseball thing, and I feel like baseball fans end up even more superstitious than any other sports fans. So it's crazy mm-hmm. how that kind of permeates the whole sport. Yeah, and it's not even a fan thing. Like it's a player thing too. Like I don't yeah. think like baseball fans definitely get or baseball players definitely get asked about superstitions more than most athletes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um. So yeah, uh, Sarah Langs, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I know we con- just contacted you recently, but it is kind of like a long time in the making for Daniel and I because we've uh reference reference your tweets as long as the podcast has gone back so um yeah love love having you on and uh and yeah good luck uh good luck with everything for the rest of the season thank you so much i really appreciate it thank you for having me and that was our interview from with uh with sarah langs um great discussion on herself and the general baseball world her perspective uh her perspective is is a a quality perspective for us and uh you know gotta love talking baseball with uh with sarah langs um i I think yeah i think she brought up some good points about that twins trade deadline i mean uh, i didn't know michael fulmer only had one barrel allowed this year that was that was very cool um i think that unfortunately since then he has gotten roughed up a little bit i know that he did give up a home run but that's not important yeah yeah but you know we did it was true at the time i it might still be true that home run might not have been a barrel i'm gonna check his savant page right now yeah maybe it was a old 42 degree launch angle yeah he does he still okay he has given up two barrels but hey two barrels is two barrels two barrels is two barrels and 1.7 percent barrel rate that's really good yeah, so we recorded uh we yeah, we recorded that a few days ago. So maybe some of the stats are uh um a little off, but the narrative yeah. stays the same. But same idea. Same idea. Um so uh yeah, what are we getting into next? We got so uh let's talk about the tigers sticking the in the AL Central here. Um they've had a really disappointing season you know they had some expectations coming into into this year they were kind of hovering 500 between may 8th and the end of last season they added eduardo rodriguez and javier baez and austin meadows in the off season and it's just been a miserable year in detroit and uh there is a little bit of consolation though for detroit fans and it's that alavila 
after seven miserable seasons as the GM as the of the Detroit Tigers uh, is being released of his duties. Uh, he has been fired. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, miserable is uh, yeah how how you can describe it for sure. Um, yeah, Tigers haven't made the playoff. You know, did not make the playoffs once. Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs once uh, in his tenure, um, which, you know, they were rebuilding, but it shouldn't take seven years to uh, fully rebuild. Um, and, you know, they kind of had – there was some hope with the Tigers last year. They, they you know, in from, like, May on, they had a – they were above 500, um, and they had, you know, Torkelson coming up, Riley Green coming up. Um, but this year has been, and, and, you know, they ended up signing Eduardo Rodriguez and Javier Baez, and this year has been a huge flop and uh, d- decided to change some upper management. Yeah, this is a move that was much needed. Uh, since the start of the 2016 season, which was Alavila's first full year as the Tigers GM, the Tigers have a record of 404 and 576. That is the second low. That is the second worst record in Major League Baseball over that time. Only the Baltimore Orioles have a worse record, and at least Oriole fans have made the playoffs in this time, and they have something to be excited about right now. Detroit almost made the playoffs in 2016, and that's just about it for them. They've had the worst record in baseball uh, twice, and they have the second worst record in the American League right now. They talked about trading Tarek Skubal at the deadline last year, which was one of the pieces that they got from their rebuild. And I mean, when it gets to the point where you're trading pieces that you traded for in a rebuild, like that's where, you know, it's over. Exactly. Like, yeah. When you're thinking of, I mean, also, yeah. When you're thinking about a guy trading a guy who has four and a half more years of control, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's not, it's not right. I mean, yeah. they were expected to do much better this year. Um, you know, some of it, some of it does lie on the players, but like not making the playoffs in seven years, uh, you know, it's, it's just, that's, you're, you're not going to be able to uh, continue as general manager. Yeah, I mean, let's even talk about Michael Fulmer because one of the last moves that Dave Nabrowski made as GM of the Detroit Tigers was trading Yoenis Cespedes to the New York Mets and in part getting Michael Fulmer in return. Michael Fulmer has since won a Rookie of the Year award and is now on the cusp of becoming a free agent. And he was just dealt at the trade deadline. Like one of the pieces that they got as part of the rebuild in 2015 is now being traded as part of the rebuild in 2022. And they've had nothing to show for it since then. So that's, that's probably the worst it could ever look. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have, yeah, you have guys going through their full six years of service time. Um, make being, sure Mike Fulmer is about to be a free agent. He is. Yes. Being, you know, sold at the de- sold at the deadline. Um, yeah. Like, uh, and, and it's not like the Tigers are a team that's completely unwilling to spend also. I mean, they're, mm, they have been since uh, Mike well, yeah. passed in this rebuild process, but I mean, this past off season, they got, you know, Baez and Rodriguez, mm-hmm. um, and just didn't work out. Um, and yeah, this, this rebuild, this rebuild hasn't been going, uh, exactly how they wanted to. Um, do we want to talk about what Chris Illich, the Tigers owner 
talked about? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, the first, the first thing is just avoiding so much accountability. Chris Illich, by the way, the Tigers owner, uh, the son of previous owner Mike Illich, who passed away in February of 2017, and the Tigers have just had a very different mindset since the passing of Mike Illich. You know, they're not spending as much money. They're behaving a lot more like a small market team. You know, in Mike's days, you know, they made the World Series twice. They were a playoff contender every year. Obviously, they never got it done, but you, I don't think you could ever blame Mike Illich for him not winning a World Series with the Tigers. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, what, like, like that, that 2013 team, no doubt, should have won the World Series. Yeah. And, you know, the 2012 team, you could have made a case for the 06 team. Like they had, they had plenty of teams that could have made it and it just, you know, it just didn't happen. just wasn't in the cards and it is what it is, but they just have not even been competitive uh, over the last six years. And Chris Illich, I think every, the the differences really stand out in this press conference here where uh, Chris Illich met with the media after firing uh, Alavila and he was asked about, you know, the times that they've shed peril over the years, you know, trading away guys like Justin Verlander, uh, guys like Justin Upton, guys like J.D. Martinez, you know, guys that were staples to the organization for a certain period of time that, you know, went away. Nick Castellanos was another one. And, you know, a lot of those moves did make sense, sure. But uh, when, he was, he, when, he, when he was asked about that, his response was like, well, I didn't do that. The GM did that, which is just wrong like if you're gonna if you're gonna trade a guy like justin verlander who's on that big salary at the time do you really think that that's only a gm thing no of course it's not like the, the owner's got to sign off on something like that uh same thing goes for jd martinez same thing goes for justin upton who had they who they had paid a decent amount of money to like it's just it's the lack of accountability within the tigers front office really showed in this press conference and the other one was um in 2019, Alavila was extended. Probably not a good idea, you know, in hindsight. Even really at the time, just didn't seem like a good idea. But uh, Chris Ellis was asked about that. And, like, if he regrets it, he was like, was it 2019? I thought it was 2021. He straight up forgot what year that he extended his GM, which is just flat-out embarrassing. And it really just goes to show where the Tigers are as a front office right now. Yeah, especially headed into a press conference where you should kind of be on your feet. Mm -hmm. um it is funny to imagine also like justin verlander he's on a 20 he's making like 25 million a year Mm -hmm. and then he gets traded and chris illich is just like wait what who who's gonna tell me that this was going on yeah not only that but like you i I just want to go back to your point about like you know being a being in a press conference you got to be on your feet being an owner in a press conference like owners very rarely meet with the media Right. Like they'll do it like most like at best an owner will meet with the media like one or two times a year. Like they are essentially free from accountability at most times. And during the times that they are, Chris Ellis just did not come prepared. Yeah, look at like uh John Henry of the Red Sox. I think after the Mookie Betts trade. That was the last time he spoke with the media. He did yeah, he, he straight up hasn't spoken to the media like at all. Like that's two and a half years since literally two and a half years like it was around this time because it was february of 2020 we're now in august it's six months yeah it's been two and a half years since john henry the owner of one of the biggest franchises in professional sports 
not just the Red Sox, but Liverpool, but P- Pittsburgh Penguins. He has not spoken to the media since February of 2020. And yeah, the, imagine him, imagine him like uh, in the next month being like, I thought we hired Heimblum this year. Yeah. And not 2020. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, kind of embarrassing. I mean, the, the Tigers have just been uh, like the whole year just taking take as the kids say taking a lot of bells yeah they need uh they really need to clean house in that front office and i'm glad that you know it obviously starts with um it starts with alavila that was a move that needed to be made years ago in my opinion but better late than never they got it they you know they did that and i honestly do think they need to find a guy that prioritizes winning now because they have talent on the major league roster that can win them some games. They need to, you know, maybe they need better hitting coaches because their their offense has been dreadful all year. They've been underperforming all around. You look at guys like Austin Meadows, who hasn't hit a home run this year, Jamer Candelario, AR alum Jamer Candelario. But let's be honest, he's been struggling this year. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, whatever. Like, that is that is what it is. Um, Robbie Grossman struggled this year before he got traded. Jonathan Scope has been struggling offensively this year, even though he's been amazing at defense, according to outs above average. Like right. Javier Baez, who I mentioned, is a slightly alarming. He hasn't performed on offense. They need a lot of work to be done, but I also think they shouldn't enter another rebuild. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's too many. They're already, you know, they're kind of being rewarded for the rebuild with, you know, Riley Green is up. He's mm-hmm. uh I, I haven't looked at his stats, but I believe he's, he's been struggling. Okay, so he's been struggling, yeah. but like, but it's it's major league adjustments, like it's whatever. Like, yeah, Spencer Torgelson and Riley Green are both like twenty three and younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're they're gonna develop at some point, and yeah, like, yeah, no need to enter another rebuild. What I'm curious about is is with AJ Hinch, like, is this sort of letting him off the hook or is this going to be a sign of he's next i don't think so i think i mean aj hinch you look at the the roster that he was given in houston and the roster that he's been given in detroit and how can you expect the same thing out of him you can't which leads me into my next point what if the tigers go all in and hire jeff luna as their next gm (laughs) oh man that would be so fun you've already hired aj hinch what what harm is it going to do if you hire jeff luna yeah, <laughs> you bring the band back together, right? You read, you maybe you sign Carlos Correa in the offseason. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> like I'm pretty sure they were going after him beforehand. Yeah, yeah, because he was Abide, what? Didn't he like meet with AJ Hinch for lunch during his free agency? Uh, what was that? Didn't he like meet with AJ Hinch for lunch during his free agency? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that was a thing. Yeah um because carlos correa has already said he's going to opt out of his contract um actually side note i know this is completely unrelated but um remember last winter when the orioles were checking in on correa and everyone was laughing because why would he go to the orioles uh it broke up for a quick second can you say that again yeah remember last year last winter when the uh baltimore orioles were in on carlos correa and people were laughing because why would he go to the orioles yeah that's actually very yeah (laughs) i mean you have your answer now like 
I know obviously that's a that's a thing for next winter and this is unrelated to the current topic but I just wanted to throw that out there because maybe maybe relevant at some point yeah yeah like they're a hot commodity right now because I mean, Mike Elias I'm pretty sure came from the Astros um what the GM yeah yeah that's interesting very interesting and like if you're if you're a free agent and you're looking at there's a potential playoff team here who also has Grayson Rodriguez and Gunnar Henderson coming up. Yeah, and they just uh, had DL Hall come up. Yeah, two like Henderson and Rodriguez specifically are like two top ten prospects. Mm-hmm. Um like with Adley Rushman developing and already some major league talent. Adley Rushman developed. Like, oh yeah, Adley Rutschman, he's developing into like right now he's like a top five catcher he could be he could develop into the best catcher <laughs> um but yeah like you know that that's an attractive place to go <clears throat> it looks a lot better than it did this time last year no doubt i know that yeah. the wall is a thing but you know i don't like correa it would be very funny seeing him go obviously there's a spot in between but going from houston to baltimore yeah yeah, yeah. Being like why is his slugging percentage so far down uh, i don't know look at the crawford boxes look at baltimore <laughs> exactly exactly yeah <laughs> but still uh-huh. like it's a very i think it's a good fit for him like he's a guy that can you know shoot the gaps you know obviously there's a lot of room out there there's a lot of real estate out there in that left field uh where the ball can land and of yeah. course he has the power to clear the wall a decent amount of times throughout the year yeah orioles by the way i think have seven more wins than they did last year yeah um, and I think this time last year we were talking about the potential of the Orioles breaking the losing streak record. Cause yeah, there, there was an episode. Yeah, they did have been like said they lost like 17 in a row or something crazy like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are <laughs> talking about them as a playoff team. Heck yeah. Uh, love it. Love it. Love it. Um, I think that man, like with the Yankees playing like they have, I think that manager of the year awards probably going to Brandon Hyde. It has out. to be. Yeah. 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 You, maybe you, honestly, they could lose out, and you could still probably make the case that it's Brandon Hyde. True. <laughs> yeah, if they finish five hundred, whether they make the playoffs or not, just call off, call it off. It's Brandon Hyde's to lose. Um, yeah, that's a no doubter for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, somehow this related to the Tigers. I don't know. They're bad. Because we were talking about Jeff Lunau, and then I got into Carlos Correa. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, hypothetically. I think it'd be really sick if they hired Jeff Lunau. Yeah. That's how um, much I don't care about this Astros thing anymore. Yeah. I, I hope they don't give up on AJ Hinch too. I think they should give him another year with a new GM, uh, you know, making moves and some new additions. I agree. Um, before giving him the X. Um, so, yeah. Uh, all right. What's our next? What, what do we got? What do we got? What are we talking about next? Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams game. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I'm just gonna say it. The sequel's never better than the original. I think that's the general takeaway. Um, yeah. There were some cool moments. I think the coolest thing that they did in general was um, having Ken Griffey Jr. and Senior come out of the corn to play catch. That was definitely a very moving moment. Uh, oh, nice. I'm glad that it wasn't like a replica of what they did last year. There was a tribute to Ray Liotta, of course, uh, who, mm-hmm. you know, has since passed away in the last year because 
Yeah, I remember we were having the conversation last year when like Kevin Costner walked out from the corn and there was that whole thing because we were wondering what they were going to do next year and we agreed that they couldn't just do the same thing. And they they delivered on that, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't do my homework. I didn't watch, uh, That's didn't watch it. Didn't That's watch any of it. Um, um, it. It was funny to see them uh, like in the past few weeks promote it like on Fox where it's like, live all the excitement of the field of dream dreams game like last year it's like oh yeah it's the same thing yeah it's but, the same thing it's definitely it's two first it's two playoff caliber teams yeah two just home run machines the only good thing about the teams that were picked was just joey Votto. yeah like he he did a mic'd up interview and he was fantastic he talked about like what playing at the field of dreams meant to him because like i'm pretty sure his father had passed away or something like that um, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that's a very cool thing. You know, it's a very uh, powerful thing for him to do. But um, yeah, a four to two game with no home runs hit is extremely underwhelming. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Against... I don't know what else they expected with Cubs Reds, because the thing is, like, I understand choosing teams based on geographic location, but you have a stadium that sits like 8000 people. Like, I don't think you're going to have problem filling the stands if it's like Giants Dodgers or something like that. Yeah, or just get two teams that like happen to be on road trips in this in the Midwest area, mm-hmm. and have them meet up for two games. You know why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like say the say the Dodgers and Padres both happen to be you know they happen to have played like the Brewers and Cubs in the same week. Have them meet up. For I a mean, I Iowa. do feel like like to stick with the field of dreams theme we are obligated to have two teams that played in the dead ball era so the padres probably wouldn't be a good choice but giant 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 dodgers why not yeah 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 i forgot yeah i forgot that element um but yeah it uh like yeah i wasn't (laughs) i wasn't gonna be too excited about it the you know the the bravado is always cool um Mm in the moments within that are always cool but like I mean, the Field of Dreams game last year could literally could not have gone better. No, it was <laughs> like MLB gave themselves no shot of topping it this year, and they definitely did not help their case by putting on Cubs Reds. Yeah, which I, I I understand that when they scheduled it, the Cubs and Reds were both much better teams. You know, it was before the Cubs sold off everything at the deadline. It was when the Reds were still a, a threat in the National League wild card race. You know, at in the moment, it looked like it would be a better game, and it just happened to not be. Both teams went through fire sales afterwards. You know, one being at the trade deadline last year, one being in the winter. Um, but yeah, it it was tough for sure. Right. Uh. Yeah, I think they did schedule after last year's trade trade deadline, but it would have been funny if it was before. It was like, oh, you know. Well, I mean, they Anthony probably had Rizzo. it. They probably had it set beforehand. It's like, oh, we could we could have uh, Rizzo, Brian, Castillo. Uh, yeah, we could have Jesse Winker, Nick Castellanos, Suarez. Yeah, we could have all of them. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Um. Yeah, we got Christopher Morel. Who's who's a solid rookie? I'll give it to him, but yeah, I mean, given what we could have had, it's not as great. Right. They were probably so happy when Seiya Suzuki signed with the Cubs. They were like, thank God we got something. <laughs> um 
All right. So, by the way, what did you think of the? Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but the hologram of Harry Carey singing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game." I did. I, it was a thing where I saw it on uh, Twitter, and I didn't click on it, so I saw like I saw the visual, but not the. I didn't hear it. I it felt very weird. Yeah. Like I think you could have just like I appreciate the sentiment of putting Harry Carey out there because like if you've been to Chicago, you understand the impact that he has on that city and it's something that really could only be understood basically by people from that area or that are that have been to that area. Um mm-hmm. Harry Carey's the goat. That dude was a legend in Chicago. Um but couldn't you just use like a regular video of him saying take me out to the ball game like he did it? thousands of times yeah yeah well yeah true and also like yeah also because the hologram just looks so weird it it does but i think also the thing of like people are going to talk about it i mean i you know like i'm i'm very pro i'm very pro uh having harry carry out there in some form the hologram was just a weird move yeah and I don't think it would have been a huge crime not to have Harry Carey there because Harry Carey is very like he is specific to the Cubs and, you know, Mm -hmm. but he's more specific to Wrigley Field. That's true. Um, You know, field of like, I think you can't really equate the two, but I, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't all, it also wasn't a crime to have him as a hologram out there. It was Mm -hmm. a little weird, but yeah, you know, you know he has like his own chain of restaurants out there uh i believe it yeah i i went to one of them like years ago when i was in chicago but yeah there's like three like harry carey's restaurants in chicago nice they all have like they all have like statues of him right yeah yeah i love um yeah i love like funny funny like restaurant like guys named guys who have restaurants named after them like el tiante's grill or something yep. like that like bobby v's <laughs> bobby Hang v's on. is very how funny many, how many to. harry carry restaurants are there there's one two three four five there's five harry carry's restaurants in chicago or just in the in the area yeah maybe i'll maybe i'll uh try it out one one day i'll go yeah hunt i'll, I'll go try to find and meet Fergie Jenkins, and then along the way, I'll, I'll yes. go to a Harry Carey restaurant. Yes. Um. So yeah, uh, do I get two players to highlight? Let's do it. All right. So, yeah, now for our, our the the most most prepared we will be for uh, the episode. Uh, it is our players highlight, starting with our. Saturday, August 13, 2022 edition of Um Who do you have for us today? So for my how about that today, I don't even remember what I did. Oh yeah. I'm talking about a guy. I, I thought about uh when this guy debuted, I thought about just throwing him on how about that as a joke just to be like he has a how about that just for his name. But uh 
But Lars Newpar has been actually killing it lately, so I feel like he deserves some respect. Since July 11th, he is slashing 344, 442, 623 for a 1065 OPS and a 191 weighted runs created plus. During this time, he has a line drive rate of 35.2%. That's over over a third of his batted balls are line drives. That ranks fifth highest among the 204 hitters with at least 50 batted balls since July 11th. Uh, before the span, he had a ground ball rate of 53.7%. And in this span, it has gone down to just 33.3%. It has gone down over 20% over the last month. Uh, you know, he's he's hitting less ground balls and he's substituting for them for line drives. Whereas, you know, for a guy that doesn't have a lot of power, that's just about the perfect thing that you can be doing. Uh, on that same list of 204 hitters with at least 50 batted balls since July 11th, uh, his 412 batting average against fastballs ranks fourth and his 676 slugging ranks 15th. Also, before the span, he had a walk-to-strikeout ratio of 0.33, and in the span, it has gone up to 1.3. So it's gone up by almost a full walk-to-strikeout ratio. Um, He used to be walking very few and striking out quite a bit. Now he's doing the exact opposite. That's fifth out of the 172 qualifiers. Uh, he also has a 190 weighted runs created plus both on the road and at home during the span, which is very cool. He's just been very consistent wherever he goes. Uh, and he's helped the Cardinals jump out to a two-game division lead over the Brewers during this time. So that is Lars Newtbar. Lars Newtbar. Yeah, anytime you're walking less, or walking more, striking out less, and hitting 20% less ground balls gonna translate to success i would say usually for sure um yeah lars newbar having a having a great run great month um my how about that um i went reliever diving i i I almost want a sound effect where it's like a splash (laughs) we're in the we're in the reliever tank we're reliever diving um but i don't know that would be too much that might be a little extra but uh, it's also crossing another team off the list, and it's a hard, hard team to cross. A hard team to cross off the list because they they have so many guys. Where it's like, I just want to say, like I know, I know you. Exactly. You know, it's it's the Dodgers. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. I was almost gonna do him just to knock a team off the list, but I was like, I don't want to pick a guy just to knock a team off the list. But also, this guy is legitimately worthy, regardless of what team he's on. He's so yeah, he's very very worthy. Um, but like with the Dodgers, you can't. You know, we, we we don't have a we don't have a full list of guys we can't do a how about that on, but we can't do a how about that on Freddie Freeman. We can't do a how about that on Trey Turner. We Mookie can't Betts. do a how about that on Mookie Betts. Will's like probably even like Will Smith, uh, or Will Smith if he's like the best hitter in the league, I'd say. Yeah, Will Smith if he's the best hitter in the league, but like, uh, also like Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, uh even like Craig Kimbrell. Yeah. Um, can't do how about that on any of those guys. So you have to find, you, you, we have to do guys kind of under the radar, not superstars. And uh, this guy's one of them and he's been having a superstar like season in general. Um, I'm talking about Evan Phillips, a reliever for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Since the start of May, he has a 0.50 ERA and a 2.15 FIP in 36 innings pitch. Since the start of May, out of 170 qualifiers, his ERA ranks first, his FIP ranks 13th, and his F4 ranks 9th. 
And uh, since the start of May, out of 463 pitchers with 50-plus batted balls against him, uh, his average ex- exit velocity ranks sixth lowest out of those 463. Uh, overall this year, uh, th- you know, th- throughout the whole year, out of 133, out of a, out of 330, out of 337 pitchers with 100 plus batted balls against them, his expected woba ranks fourth. Also, his 12.9 percent pop up rate this year ranks 13th out of 337. He's getting a lot of pop ups, and you know pop ups are pretty much guaranteed outs. Also, with Evan Phillips, all four of his pitches this year have a slugging and expected slugging against under 300. That's very elite when you have four pitches under that mark. He has he has no weak spots in his arsenal. I'm just impressed that he has four pitches as a reliever. Yeah, I will say uh, his sinker, he barely uses it, but it's, you know, it has a slugging under 300. The other three pitches, though, even having three pitches, three consistent pitches as a reliever is pretty wild. Uh, it's a slider, four-seamer, and cutter. And his cutter, yeah, his cutter has a 152 slugging against this year. That is the third lowest slugging against out of 111 pitchers to throw 100-plus cutters this year. Um, Evan Phillips, he's been just flat out. He's been great this year, especially since the start of May. I mean, a .5 ERA. He's been unbelievable. Evan Phillips. Um, all right, so now we go from the highs to the lows where we're talking players and subjects that have been underperforming. Um, for our Saturday, August 13th, 2022 edition of... Slightly alarming. Who do you have for us today? So I'm talking about a guy that uh, I believe was mentioned by both of us as a how, as a slightly alarming uh, during the 2020 season, and he's, uh, he's going back on the struggle bus. J.D. Martinez of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, yeah. Since July 13th, he is slashing 156, 211, 221 for a 443 OPS and a 16 weighted runs created plus. That weighted runs created plus is the worst among the 171 qualifiers. Uh, from April through June of this year, his in-zone swing and miss percentage was hovering 16 to 17%, which is pretty average. But in July, it went up 26%. And in August, it is currently at 35.7%. 35.7% of times he has swung the ball, swung the bat at a ball in the zone he's missed. That is quite awful. Since the start of July, he is the highest in-zone swing and miss percentage among 178 hitters with at least 200 pitches seen in the strike zone. So he just isn't hitting the balls that he should hit more often than anybody else in the league right now. Uh, he does have a good hard hit rate during this time, but on balls that are below the hard hit threshold, he's batting 103 with a 138 slugging. And among the 183 hitters, at least 50 batted balls over the span, uh, that average of 103 ranks eighth worst and the slugging percentage ranks 13th worst. The Red Sox were asking for a top five organizational prospect in trade talks for J.D. Martinez. And it's very clear why he's still on the Red Sox, given that price and his recent performance and the fact that he's in his upper 30s and pending free agents. Yeah, J.D. Martinez. Slightly alarming. Yeah, I mean he he was uh, he was doing extremely well um, in like the May June time frame. He his overall OPS was in the upper nine hundreds, mm-hmm. but 
uh, he was having some good Babbitt luck. Now it's reversed, and now you know that it's balanced out. And I think his wins above replacement is like under one. It's minus point um, eight. Uh, well, but like uh, overall in the season, also. Oh yeah, it's point nine. Yeah, it's point nine. Point nine F WAR. I think his B WAR is is even less than that. Um. So yeah, not a very valuable commodity, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess the benefit for the Red Sox there is if they want to resign him, his price is way down. Um, and they can give him a qualifying offer this year. Yeah, true. Very true. And he might be right to accept it, honestly. Um, yeah, I don't think they would give him the qualifying offer in that case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my slightly alarming. Where's a different pair of socks? He's on the white socks. Uh, We've done so many white socks. Yeah, this has got to be like number five number six um i'm talking about lance lynn uh we've referenced him a couple times but uh it's time to highlight him as a slightly alarming in 59 so yeah lance lynn first of all he started the year with an injury he came back on june 13th um it, w- it was supposed to be a thing where like oh lance lynn's back you know white Sox can ramp things up a little bit but it's been the opposite in 59 and two-thirds innings pitch this year he has a 5.88 ERA, a 4.63 FIP, and a 4.47 expected ERA, and he also has 2.0 home runs per nine this year. Since he debuted this year, uh, out of uh, out of 72 qualifiers, his ERA is second highest and his FIP is tenth highest, and his home runs per nine is fifth highest out of 72. Uh, he also has career highs in the Statcast era in average exit velocity against hard hit rate against and barrel rate against and after never having a barrel rate above six percent uh since 2015 his barrel rate is 9.8 percent this year which is explains his crazy home run rate of uh 2.0 home runs per nine also lynn's average exit velocity overall in the year is in the 15th percentile. His hard hit rate is in the 14th percentile. Expected slugging is in the 13th percentile. And his barrel rate is in the 15th percentile. And uh, particularly on his sinker, that's where hitters are having the best time. Batters are hitting 417 with a 708 slugging percentage off his sinker. And out of 79 pitchers to throw 150 plus sinkers since Lynn came back, Lynn's average and slugging against on his sinker are third worst on both of them. So yeah, Lance Lynn, uh, part of the reason, basically, you know, uh, in layman's terms, part of the reason why the White Sox are still not in first place in in that uh, very mediocre division. So Lance Lynn. Slightly alarming. Um. The Guardians right. just took first place in the AL Central. They've won six in a row. And, like, unless they start, you know, making a run, the AL Central almost seems like a buy in the playoffs. Yeah, dude, it's 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 so bad. You know, I don't want to disrespect the Guardians right now because I, I do want to talk about them next episode. They're a very, very young team, like a remarkably young team. Um, But, man, that division really looks like it'll be – a cakewalk for either the Yankees or the Astros. Yeah. Or I guess, um, I mean, if, if the sixth seed beats them. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what I'm thinking is like, 
yeah, this the wild card as it is right now. Uh, number four seed is Mariners. Number five is Toronto. Number six is Baltimore. Um, like, <laughs> you know, late in the season, if there's a situation where like maybe Baltimore or the or Tampa Bay or Minnesota is a game behind the five seed and you know maybe they have the playoff spot in check they're not going to want to win and face one of the Blue Jays or Mariners they're going to want to face the Guardians probably I mean that's how it stands right now obviously things could be different come September but the Guardians have been winning some games they just beat the Blue Jays eight nothing last night uh, they've won six in a row. They're now on top of that. Uh, I had a stat the other day, age 29 or younger. Um, what was that? Uh, oh yeah. Not what, not over 90%. Um, 93.5%. It was 28, by the way, uh, 93.5% of innings pitched by guardians pitchers have been 28 or younger. And part of that was because Sandy Leon threw two innings because they were getting blown out. Like it probably um, could be like 94%. Otherwise. That's so funny. Um, yeah, that's pretty crazy to think about. Um, yeah, yeah. They've had, I think three pitchers that are over the age of 28 this year. Um, like Brian Shaw, Anthony Ghost, and Sandy Leone. Uh, and yeah. two of those at at one point were position players. Yeah, they just have or or currently are. They have such a young team, which I mean is good for their future. I mean, I think that's kind of how the Guardians organization has been set up with how they always trade. Um, yeah, they always trade their players at their peak value, except for Jose Ramirez, which is. I mean, the best best choice to sign, most likely. Um, and, you know. They especially if you signed... can get him for, like, especially if you can get him for, like, 50% of his value. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, very um, very funny how, yeah, how the Guardians roster has worked out. Um, so, yeah. Uh, now we'll get now into we'll get a pre... Somewhat a preview of the weekend ahead. The weekend already started, folks. Um, but you know, we're, we we usually don't record on a, on a Saturday, but that's how scheduling worked today. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. now we'll get into a preview. You know, preview of Saturday and Sunday. The day by day matchups will probably be that that'll be more um, fitting to the preview than the series to watch. But I can tell you that the series to watch. Uh, we got Blue Jays Guardians. Guardians smacked the crap out of the Blue Jays last night. Um, Jose Barrios continuing to be the most disappointing pitcher of 2022. <laughs> um, he, uh, I haven't updated the F4 league yet, but he's definitely going down like 0.3. Yeah, I mean, thank two God. walks, a strikeout, two homers. Yeah, for those unaware, we we have a a, a, a league with our friends where. You know, you're you have you you have a team and they accumulate F4 and whoever has the most F4 at the end of the year, uh, you win. And also you can't you can't replace anybody unless they're on the IL. Barrios hasn't had an IL stint this year. So but I have Max Scherzer also, so it's like at least that sort of balanced out. <laughs> Max Scherzer had a yep. six strikeout, zero walk, zero home run performance. So and Edwin Diaz pitched 
Uh, so yeah, it sort of balanced out. <laughs> All you need to say is Edwin Diaz pitched. You don't even need <laughs> to say how he did. It's like, yeah, he pitched, so I'm getting points there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been very lucky with that, I will say. But yeah, anyway, Blue Jays, uh, Guardians at Rogers Center, Rays Orioles. That's actually very, very, very important because the Rays are out of a playoff spot right now. <laughs> um, and uh, the Orioles are in a playoff spot. Rays are half a game out from the Orioles. So that's extremely important. Literally, quite the opposite. <laughs> I mean, this time last year, we were talking about how the Rays were like 14 and one against the Orioles. <laughs> and now, now they're fighting for a playoff spot. Um, and then. Yeah, Mets Phillies, two of the hottest teams in baseball right now, going at it. Phillies won last night, uh, and great pitching matchups to go with that. Uh, Cardinals Brewers, top of the NL Central. We got some great series, folks. Um, yeah, yeah, got some good series. Uh, what do you got? Uh, yeah. What do you got for the day by day matchups? We got some great matchups tonight uh, on Saturday. Uh, Jesus Lardo will be facing the Braves for the Marlins at Marlins Park. That'll be an exciting one uh, for the Marlins. They need to their offense needs to pick it up. Uh, Ian Anderson will be making his return from from getting demoted uh, in the second end of the doubleheader today against the Marlins for the Braves. Uh, Tristan McKenzie and Mitch White will face each other in Guardians Blue Jays. Fun fact: I almost went to this game, but things didn't get past the group chat phase of a Toronto trip. But um. <laughs> Anyway, in Orioles Rays, you got DL Hall, who's a number one prospect, making his major league debut against Shane McClanahan. That's going to be a really exciting matchup. I don't know. I don't know if you've noticed this, Chris, or like if you can relate to this, but like, do you ever see a picture of a pitcher or just like any baseball player, and you could tell by like the background what stadium it is? Um, like just yeah. the picture of the crowd. Like I do that way more often than I'd like to admit, and it's kind of it feels like it's kind of sad. Like I can tell you right now. If you look at uh, if you go to the probable pitchers on Savan right now, and you look at Kyle Muller, he's absolutely pitching in Cincinnati, no doubt about it. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, you got you Darvish going for the Padres against the Nationals. Of course, Juan Soto made his return last night. Same with Josh Bell. Uh, Andrew Heaney versus Brad Keller and Dodgers Royals in the all color series. It's the same color scheme of the jerseys. That's fun. Nice. Wait, what, um, what series again? Dodgers Royals. Oh yeah, yeah. The all blue and white jerseys. Um, you have Lance McCullers Jr. making his return from the IL against the Athletics in in Houston tonight. That's going to be a good one. Lucas Giolito will be facing the Tigers for the White Sox at Guaranteed Rate Field. Marco Gonzalez and Dane Dunning going against each other in Rangers Mariners in Globe Life Field. Uh, Frankie Montas making his second start for the Yankees against the Red Sox and Cutter Crawford, who's been looking good for them as of late. Corbin Burns versus Adam Wainwright. That's an ace off right there. That's as good as it gets uh, in Brewers Cardinals. Yeah, Zach Gallen. It, it's an it's an ace off with very opposite pitching styles. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a B war versus F war pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Gallen versus Jose Arena in uh, Diamondbacks Rockies, of course. You have uh, Tyler Beatty versus Logan Webb in Pirates Giants in Oracle. Dylan Bundy versus Reed Demers and uh, Twins Angels. Dylan Bundy making his return to Angel Stadium. By the way, Reed Demers, he's looked real good lately. I don't know if you've been checking his stats, but he's been like one of the best pitchers in the league over the last like month or so. Ooh, interesting. Uh, and matchup of the night. This one's too easy. 
comes from Philly's Mets, you could probably already guess it's Aaron Nola versus Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. That's there were a lot of good matchups in Mets Mets versus uh Phillies this weekend. Obviously, there's that one. Last night was Ranger Suarez versus Max Serger. And on Sunday, it's going to be Zach Wheeler versus Chris Bassett. Uh, also on Sunday, you're going to have Blake Snell going for the Padres against the Nationals. You're going to have Keegan Thompson going against Justin Dunn in Cubs Reds. Uh, Jordan Lyles and Drew Rasmussen facing each other in Orioles Rays. You will have Braxton Garrett going for the uh, Marlins against the Braves. He's had some good run prevention numbers this year. Uh, Tyler Anderson versus Brady Singer. A couple of breakout pitchers will be going against each other in Dodgers Royals. Cole Irvin versus Christian Javier. I believe have both. Did you use Christian Javier as a how about that or am I am I just no? But I mean, we we talked about him when he uh, combined. Was, was a part of a no hitter. Yeah, he was part of the no hitter, and I think okay. I mentioned like gotcha. he was doing he was doing very well at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tyler Alexander versus Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn, like Chris mentioned, just looking to get the momentum back on his side. Aaron Ashby versus Miles Michaelis in Brewers Cardinals. You will have Logan Gilbert versus Martin Perez. Gilbert has been struggling a little bit lately, uh, but he'll look to pick it up in a pitcher friendly ballpark. You will have Zach Thompson and Alex Wood in Pirates Giants. Chris Archer versus Tucker Davidson in Twins Angels. Uh, Jameson Tyon will be facing the Red Sox on Sunday Night Baseball. And matchup of the day, this is another easy one. This comes from Guardians Blue Jays. It's going to be Shane Bieber versus Kevin Gosman. Wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great one. Great yeah, one. You have some good – and we'll, we'll save Monday for Monday because I can't imagine many teams have announced their their starters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, we, we hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, yeah, that, that should do it for this installment of Above Replacement Radio. Very exciting one. Um, first of all, yeah, huge thank you to Sarah Langs yes. uh, for her time and insight uh, for Above Replacement Radio. We love to have her on. Uh, and if you uh, if you want to, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to our YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. Um, and then subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Deonta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball once again. See you then.